<laughs> this was a Curtis video and play that sound but only for one second <laughs> I am the devil and I am here to do the devil's work had this written for what like two months yeah um so the reason we haven't been posting <laughs> is pure mental illness yeah i gotta it's, say it, it's there wasn't even any work to get done it it was just it's just mental illness yeah it was literally just two months of i can't record today mm-hmm. one of us being like it's just not happening and yep. the other one being like dude hard mood right <laughs> I'm just being like, thank God, I can't. Being like, I'm, I can't. Um, January so. is going to be a bad month every year. Yeah. Forever. Forever. Absolutely. So. Um, but we're here now in February. Yeah. Um, it, with our series. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, I think we may have mentioned before in other previous knows. podcasts. I don't know. It's been forever. But this series is on parasocial relationships. Um, it, who are we? Damn, I forgot. Um, it's been months, so clearly nobody knows who we are anymore. Uh, I don't, I sure don't. Like, yes. What podcast is, am I on? Is it ours? Are we guests? I don't know. Um, it's been forever. Um, but this is the podcast Rejects. Yep. Um, and I'm Spencer, of course, sitting with the lovely Alaska as it's we, up are covering a new series. Finally a series that I didn't do the research for. Yeah, <laughs> it's mine, so it will be objectively worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a, a teensy tiny two-parter. <laughs> nothing serious, nothing Britney crazy. Right, it only um, took us two months to record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the longest project we've had chronologically. Mm-hmm. But um, so this is uh, part one of our parasocial relationship series. And I wanted to talk about this um, topic um, when there was the very public divorce of John Mulaney and the way everyone on the Internet had something to say about it. Um, and I was like, oh, in the moment I was like, oh, I have to do a series on this. Like what parasocial relationships are like deep dive, go Mm -hmm. into the whole thing. And then like a month later, I was like, everyone's beaten this to a dead horse. Like, you know, TikTok discourse is just like on and on and on. Like everybody who's anybody on the internet has talked about it. I was like, uh, I need to like, maybe I need a better reason to like cover this subject instead of just being like another voice, just like saying my dumbass opinion and then i came across some pretty crazy actual parasocial relationship stories that i was like okay i think this is the perfect way i okay if you couldn't tell i don't believe that people have parasocial relationships when they on the internet talk about a man who like cheated on his wife and they say like oh that's bad i didn't like like that it's gonna be a no from me yeah they're like like, oh that's like embarrassing for him and people were like how dare you be parasocially related to him it's like (laughs) what (laughs) be parasocially related is very funny Uh, you guys related parasocially Parasocially. (laughs) physically no (laughs) spiritually yes um 
And I was like, okay, the sharp contrast between, like, actual parasocial relationships Mm -hmm. um, and whatever just happened for, like, the last, you know, the few months on TikTok are just so starkly different that I was like, okay, this is for sure. I definitely have to do this. Um, So the first part of this series, this episode, will cover um, very basic overview of terms you know i do not pretend to be a doctor um so i'm not going to claim that i have any sort of expertise on psychology um so you know i'm going to cover as best as i can but don't take my word as gospel right um and then on uh, any of our series yeah from this point forward i'm like that is a blanket statement and retroactively of anything else we've said exactly um so That'll be the bulk of it, plus a couple of stories. Mm -hmm. And then next episode, we'll get into my favorite story of all time. um, And then we'll go into our deep analysis of the John Mulaney situation. Great. I can't wait. (laughs) So I have a couple of major sources to acknowledge. Um, I've referenced a lot of or found information, especially for these stories from various articles and such. Um, but specifically on the descriptions of parasocial relationships, um, I was reading a couple of things, a academic article called Parasocial Interaction, the COVID-19 Quarantine and the Digital Age Media by Dr. Carol Jarzina. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your last name. It's, it's J-A-R-Z-Y-N-A, if you want to to look up that article. She was on top of it. She was. Getting that fucking article out there. Yeah, she was on top of it. It's very recent, and it's a very good compliment to the book that I read most of (laughs) uh, called Presumed Intimacy by Chris Roheck, I think it is, or it could be Rojek. I'm not sure. Hmm. Also, sorry if I butchered that. Um, His is a little bit older, and it's a little bit more um, focused on... um, the uh like early research of like parasocial relationships which i think is very valuable but it's a little like um kind of outdated um you know situations it's like studies from the 70s and such um it's still very useful and i think it still applies but Mm -hmm. i think the article by dr carol is like brings it into because digital media is definitely shifting a lot of these things for sure so i really liked the article by dr carol i'm sorry i'm just gonna call her that (laughs) not by her last name so that i don't keep butchering it yeah um her specific definitions of parasocial interaction and parasocial relationships okay there are a lot of you know different views and usages of these terms a lot of um writers and researchers use them interchangeably Uh, but I think hers are really clear and I think uh, make the most sense in when we talk about um, the effects of these things rather than just their theory. Um, So she defines parasocial interactions as the one-sided relationships individuals form with characters from television or other media characters in the broad sense of like a celebrity has a brand a character as well right okay that makes sense so not just fictional characters Mm -hmm. but like you know the false character of something you might see online exactly like the um media persona or whatever or you know agents that exist in media and then a uh, parasocial relationship she says is when the audience member 
experiences emotions and feelings from the parasocial interactions very consistently thinks of the character or person very often Mm -hmm. similar to that of a person like thinking of a close friend like seeing like a meme or something and thinking that person would think it's funny you know I, i if i knew them i would send it to them you know that kind of like behavior when it becomes a little bit more consistent and they become like more of a figure in your life interesting okay And this differentiation is not to say that parasocial interactions are, like, they're the ones that are fine, and then parasocial relationships are not okay, like, that kind of, like, dividing line. Um, You can have parasocial relationships or whatever. Um, It's the extreme ones that are not good. Um, I was like, everybody kind of has, like, you know a few celebrities or whatever that you think of that you like really love you maybe think about them sometimes like just in your daily life right just because it's categorized as a parasocial relationship doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing or a detriment to your health right i mean it's sort of the only reason that celebrities exist to begin with because if people didn't experience these emotions we wouldn't have celebrities exactly right Okay, so those were um, Dr. Carroll's very straightforward, uh, clear um, definitions of those two terms that I really like, and I think it's very applicable to the current digital age. Yeah, it's good to have some nuance in there, Mm -hmm. especially because, like, I think parasocial relationships probably have a lot of, like, different meaning in different situations. Absolutely, and I think a lot of papers, too, their whole point is basically that these definitions are forever changing and because our world is changing they're going to continue to change along with it um and um the book presumed intimacy comes from a different perspective um and establishes this kind of baseline term presumed intimacy um that refers to a relationship that requires instant trust confidence disclosure and the recognition of vulnerability um which chris says is a basic constituent of all social relationships okay so it's sort of like it's something that exists in relationships that wouldn't qualify as parasocial relationships right presumed intimacy is something that exists below them below like all relationships yes yeah okay that's what his thesis is, at least. Mm-hmm. And he goes into, you can read the book if you want, but it's very esoteric. Um, I Don't be, um, don't underestimate the size of the book. It's only like 200 something pages, but she she's a beast. Like she <laughs> takes a long time to get through. Um, um, I mean, he is a sociologist. So yes. We all know what they're like. Exactly. And he's a professor as well. So it's very <laughs> academic. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a meaty subject. Uh, but he, like, talks about parasocial relationships as a whole that we don't need to, like, get into things with, like, just groups of people. We're here to talk about um, specific people. We're talking about celebrities. <laughs> the important things. Um, yes. Okay. Um, I tur- I'm taking his words and I'm putting it into basically, like, the Teen Vogue equivalent, um, which I think will make him upset. And I'm sorry about it. <laughs> I mean, listen, if it's going to make a sociologist upset, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, So, you know, baseline, basic, basic definitions of parasocial interactions and relationships Mm -hmm. um, established. (laughs) We, I think the most important part of this discussion, rather than just diving completely into, you know, 
splicing words, splitting hairs over theoretical definitions. I think the um, empirical evidence of the how the digital age has changed is like much more important to this conversation. For sure. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, it makes sense also that parasocial relationships wouldn't even be something we understood until fairly recently. Exactly. And so our understanding of it is going to be limited because of that. Right. And like psychology as a whole is such like a new (laughs) topic, honestly, in, in comparison to human history that like parasocials is like really at the tail end there um and i think it's especially really clear um with how presumed intimacy is focused on you know groups of people you know the talk show celebrity you know talking about like johnny carson like those kinds of things versus dr carol's paper which like you know talks about social media influencers i'm like Mm -hmm. those are two completely different ball games for sure and the trajectory of how we got there is like insane like we moved at like breakneck speed for sure of how we went from you know we had the archetype of the movie star like the a-list movie star and like tv cable like you know actors and such that was like the celebrities like yeah sure you had like musicians and stuff too but like you know it was very much like that was it like the people there that's and even in those times like being a tv show actor we were less of a celebrity than like an actual like movie star exactly like there was was a big difference yeah yeah, between a movie actor and a tv actor there was very much a like a hierarchy Mm -hmm. and those were like the celebrities um so we had a very clear divide between TV, movie, celebrities, and the general populace. Then we started getting into the early 2000s with, like, reality shows, Mm -hmm. taking the average Joe um, person (laughs) and, like, just sticking a camera in their face for, like, eight hours a day. Right. And just following them around. Very, It became very much, like... Voyeuristic, for sure. For sure. Of experiencing um, an almost tangible life. Not truly, but, like, you know, something that could possibly in some form also happened to you as a regular person right. could well, be much on TV. closer than what you would see as like a silver screen like from a silver screen actor right and it was very much about a this is a real person not a character that they play it's like supposed to be about their life however scripted or not it's supposed to give a little bit more uh looking into a mirror rather than watching a performance mm-hmm. um and then we get into an interesting it's later, but it kind of circles back to the TV era of um, having streaming and binging, which um, a lot of researchers talk about how streaming, like, you know, content and being able to just binge TV shows really changed our relationship with TV and characters. Whereas, like, you know, you have your favorite show that comes on at, like, Thursday, 9 p.m. Central Time or whatever, and mm-hmm. you watch that show on Thursday nights, and then you go about your week until the next Thursday, and then you watch it. But our ability to be able to just binge shows gives us a, a much more truncated time to get to know characters, get to, you know, have them be a bigger presence in our lives for however long we watch that show. Right. Um, can really just, like, change your perspective and, you know, has a lot more people thinking about characters more often in their daily lives than you would if it was just like a scheduled once a week thing that makes sense yeah um and then we get into the most recent years of social media influencers <laughs> becoming as Bo Murdom once said in his comedy special you know performer and audience have melded and we're performing for each other all the time right um and we have just really the line between 
who is a celebrity and who is not, like who is audience, who is performer has gotten so blurry that, you know, it just any sort of definition that we had for parasocial relationships before has gone out the window. It's just, it can't be applicable. Like everything is different. All the power dynamics are just completely different. Um, We're in a completely different world. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that makes sense. (laughs) We definitely are. Mm -hmm. I mean, the moment that like Jake Paul became a household name. Yeah, we we were were done for. We were too far gone. Yeah, um, God has abandoned us. (laughs) God stays in heaven because he's afraid of what he created. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) He absolutely is petrified of where we've gotten. And especially with the reality TV shows and with social media influencers, what started as and what is portrayed as supposed to be the focus on the individual, the real person, the relatable person, has um, been just grabbed and like so fiercely by marketing departments Mm -hmm. around the world for corporations and beyond. Um, Media marketing has just you know, steered right and so heavily towards guerrilla marketing, which is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of guerrilla warfare, everybody, (laughs) (laughs) but it's when you're in the jungle, when you are sneaking your way through the bushes instead of our usual war front, like explicit, we are on the battlefield Mm -hmm. pointing guns at each other. It's very sneaky. It's trying to trick you. It's crossing enemy lines to attack them from the opposite side, from within their own camp. Exactly. That's what guerrilla warfare is. And then guerrilla marketing is similar. (laughs) Cosplaying as a normal person to market to the average Joe. Exactly. Um, which is how social media influencers even get paid. I mean, um, that's what brand deals are, mm-hmm. um, sponsored videos on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about that guerrilla marketing. And I mean, at least when they're marked as ads, that's slightly better than like the shit that like Bang does and stuff where they're yes. just not marking it as ads, even they're just though they like, are supposed to. Yeah, just violating the law over and over <laughs> and over again. It's insane. Just for funsies. Yeah. And it has turned to quite a point where brands now have, in addition to paying real people, paying influencers to spon- you know, be sponsored by their products, to give ads for their products on their platforms, they have also turned to um, creating personas of the company as like a real person okay um you can see that on twitter with like the wendy's account Mm -hmm. and the mcdonald's account having beef or whatever right to get people excited about new products and Um, while that is gross it did lead to one of the best memes of all time it did the silence brand (laughs) (laughs) a silence brand which is i use that every day Post it on our Instagram. We all have to. Yeah. Um, So it's a, I don't know. It's a toss up. It's a toss up, honestly. Like, (laughs) is it worth it to be advertised every second? Like, from the moment you open your eyes, you're advertised to. Yeah. If you get to see one meme and it's applicable every time. Yeah. You know, Uh, I can't say that it's a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is, um, I'm just jumping right back into a point that I didn't even know where I was going with. Um, <laughs> which is? <laughs> I was like, which is what? <laughs> what were you going to say? Say it. I don't know. Um, so companies are just like creating their own, you know, they ran with that court case that was like, corporations are people too. Oh my God. Um, and they just went full steam ahead with that, which is, um, you know. And kind with of, that logic, 
just want to say, by that logic, corporations could get married. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, are we going to see, like, mergers are not going to be mergers anymore. They're <laughs> like, going they're to be romantically involved. <laughs> they're going to be wedding. love. <laughs> oh my god, I wish we could have had some of that stuff for, like, the... What was it like Time Warner and like AT and T thing? Like, why didn't we get a whole wedding for that? Right. Anyways, they're like we're they were required to like invite their current customers to the wedding. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that would actually be a hilarious marketing concept. <laughs> and if you're a marketing person and you do this, just know you need to send us a check. Well, we're going to sue you. Yeah, we will sue you for our intellectual if property. If you are a company, we're going to sue you. Yeah, copyrights reserved for that idea. <laughs> Anyways. Come for your fucking throat. <laughs> uh, we don't have anything else to do. <laughs> we have just so much time on our hands. Um, which uh, the, you know, persona of a company thing being super successful um, on all social media platforms has kind of brought celebrities out of um, their little high horses up there just like staying away from the public and they've really you know got down in the trenches with all of us Mm -hmm. on the internet um and they have gone from not just being on a you know red carpet doing interviews to then doing talk show interviews now to doing you know YouTube videos of opening fan mail, you know, Cameo is like a whole freaking platform just for celebrities to make a little extra cash on the side, just like saying happy birthday to a fan, Mm -hmm. Um, interacting with comments on TikTok, whatever, replying with videos, duets, you know, all that stuff. Celebrities have become, you know, just as deeply as entrenched as we all are. (laughs) Um, Just like whoring out all of the celebrities for everything they're worth. Which is like so sad, honestly, for celebrities, because it's like, I thought like the whole point of becoming famous is to like remove yourself from society. And now you have to like be deeper in it than like just your average person who doesn't have TikTok. Was oh, so that's deep so sad. in it that you now no longer have privacy rights. Yes. Like, if you are famous, your privacy rights are diminished yeah. immediately. Immediately. <laughs> you don't get them. The court was like, fuck you. You're a puppet for the people now. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Dance puppet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to need a silence brand one, but it's going to be dance puppet. <laughs> Oh, coming up with memes on the spot. Instead of, like, whatever it is that picture, it just needs to be, like, a judge. Because it was decided in court. <laughs> with, like, the gavel instead eyes. of the laser. <laughs> okay, well, I know what memes I'm making tonight. <laughs> Woo, that's so funny. <laughs> I feel like as a transition sound uh, from the last point to this one, I'm going to need that... <laughs> TikTok sound that's like, no, no, but it's not funny, is it? (laughs) At the end of the day, it's quite serious. (laughs) Right? Um, Because although it's a lot of fun in games talking about celebrities and brands being, you know, online as if they're, you know, people or whatever, (laughs) um, this kind of marketing can be pretty insidious. Um, it's, It's not cool when you think about, like, Bang, for example, that is just absolutely awful the way that they don't obey the law at all right. doing the craziest ads never labeling them as such yes and um, always like with creators that have young fan bases yes. which is where it 
becomes an issue and mm-hmm. has been an issue for the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm like, it's all fun and games to make fun of advertisements as, like, a group of adults. You know, we are mm-hmm. still susceptible. I'm not saying that once you're an adult, you're not susceptible to advertising. I sure fucking am. Right. If Instagram true, has me in a chokehold. have any ads. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, but it is, it gets really, you know, not funny when we start to think about children. And especially on TikTok, there's a lot of children um, who follow these kinds of creators who spend like most of their content now is all branded content Mm -hmm. and not in a way that is clear to these children and um as we can all freaking tell from the last two almost three years now of just being locked inside our homes um covid has completely changed also all of our relationships with the internet for sure we were i mean personally i was on the internet way too much since, like, the age of 11. I've been chronically online since I was born. Yeah, I am, like, openly have, have like, four different Tumblr accounts, like, right. to this day. I came out of the womb with a fucking razor. Yeah. Flip phone. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. So, My space open. I was like, let's go, dude. Yeah. And I didn't think I could get more online than I was. And then COVID hit, and I was like, oh, I'm perpetually online. Like, mm-hmm. I wake up in the morning and open up the internet and I don't close it until past when I, you know, am completely exhausted. If I'm not on the internet, I'm not alive. Exactly. That is, and I think a lot of people felt that way when COVID hit. Some people have recovered, but I think um, a lot of people have not. No, I think most of us. permanently changed a lot of our um, psychology. For sure. And, you know, especially with even our own friends. I mean, how long we spent, and I still do because most of my friends are across the country and I'm not traveling, you know to see them uh you have to be on facetime to talk to them or whatever you know you talk through instagram dms of like you your fun stories or whatever like everything has become very online of just like talking to people that you do actually know in real life but you have to because of you know the way things are um things have just gotten even worse for everyone. If you weren't chronically online before, you are now. Um, And if you aren't online, you're clinically insane. And I'm worried that you are actually going to have a mental break and murder someone. And that's why we're getting the second, you know, the second coming of Tumblr, the hellscape that it was Mm -hmm. on TikTok, because now we have people who were not chronically online in the Tumblr age. Yep. Who didn't learn their lesson last time. They did not. So now we all have to collectively learn it again together. It's all adults who, yeah, didn't learn the lesson from Tumblr the first time and kids who obviously weren't there for Tumblr. And so they haven't, you know, learned from the mistakes of history. Mm -hmm. And we all have to watch history repeat itself. We have to teach Tumblr history in schools. (laughs) We really do, honestly. critical race theory classes that you want out so fucking bad and just teach this. Yeah, you need to teach Tumblr history and it needs to be taught by a horse girl. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, now a furry. (laughs) But I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a really unique group um, that is, I guess you could kind of call them just like in the same category as social media influencers, but also not really. Um, Very niche group of people who have a um, unique relationship with parasocial relationships are Twitch streamers. Mm. Um, I was thinking about them when I was doing this research, but as I was going, I was like, you know, their situation is like so specific that I need to just talk about them specifically. I feel like brands, celebrities, social media influencers have slight differences, but they're kind of in a same category. Twitch streamers, parasocial interactions are 
the job description. Yeah. Like, that's, like, because your it's job. it's in real time. Exactly. It's in real time. You are expected to, obviously, interact with chat um, because that's what you're there to do. You're playing video games and, you know, you're – or just chatting to or doing other things. It's not just video games. Obviously, the bulk of it is. Um, is very much like you're supposed to just be the person that's, like, going through their day um, – with other people mm-hmm. like that's like the whole um point of being on twitch um a lot of especially when you start to get about medium-sized or bigger uh twitch streamers will have their own discord channels um with their fans to be able to talk in and out of um on being on live on twitch um they have meetings that they have with moderators of their discord if it gets big enough that they need other people to assist them with the amount of chats that they have from people a lot of twitch streamers um spend read a couple of articles with interviews of streamers and they were like if i'm not on twitch like actually on live like talking to chat and being in discord i'm spending like 90% of my other time answering emails or like DMs on social. That's like everything that they do at a certain point just becomes about interacting with like thousands of strangers every single day. Right. And so their line between friendship and consumer and audience has, you know, been, I think, the most blurred, especially with, you know, high paying subscribers and regular, you know, viewers. You could be watching a Twitch streamer who streams like every single day of the week, every single day of the week, like if you wanted to. Yeah. And it's like, how at that point do you not consider someone your friend? You are literally like talking to them for hours every single day. Mm-hmm. And you they're know. purposefully blurring that line as well. Yes, because, because it benefits their, them. Yeah, that's their business like, model. You know, they need to be able to, if they want to have Twitch streaming as their job, they need to be able to make money. How do you make money? Having subs or, you know, having someone subscribe to your Patreon, whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. you need people to care about you and believe that you care about them to be able to provide that monetary compensation. Um, And I really liked this quote from this particular Twitch streamer, which we're going to get into his story in just a second. Um, I believe it's pronounced Eloheim. Um... He uh, has this quote, Twitch streamers in many ways are like celebrities. They are recognized and beloved, but it comes with a price, which unlike A-list celebrities, they do not have the support to handle. So, you know, Twitch streamers can make a lot of money um, and, you know, be very successful people. But I think there's something built into the like movie TV industry of like, you know, security and, um, you know, being on set having places to go to work that is like not just your home you know right there is like some element of being unavailable yes within your day yeah um you know they i'm sure celebrities get hundreds of dms from fans all the time but i think even the people who are dming celebrities every single day have this kind of expectation of well they'll never see this or if they do see this they're not going to respond to me and that's okay kind of thing Mm -hmm. whereas that is not the expectation for twitch streamers at all like they have to be readily available every moment that they're awake with their fans and they're expected to reply or else they won't have that kind of fan retention right Um, and so this leads me into my first parasocial relationship story that I wanted to cover, and it's for this Twitch streamer, Eloheim. Um, 
which he is a very popular streamer. I think he's been doing this for like years. He was like one of the first like major streamers, like when Twitch was like, you know, first even started. Like he's been there from like the get go. He is like one of the like Hank Greens of like <laughs> Twitch, you know, what he was to YouTube. He's a, a Twitch veteran. Exactly. Um, yeah, and he, he has 375,000 subs. Yes. Which is a lot for Twitch. Which is a lot. And especially because his entire career is Twitch. He's not like a, a YouTuber who also Twitch streams or whatever, like has some sort of other presence that he started with. Like he started on Twitch. Uh-huh. So that is a very big following for someone where it's like, that's like where he is. That's like all he does. And... He has had a lot of fans that he's talked about who are very, like, um, they're, like, bankrolling him, basically. Like, they'll send him, like, thousands of dollars and stuff that he kind of has, like, a a much closer relationship with than um, his basic, like, subscriber fan base. Okay. Um, he has, like, several of those that he talks about. He's, like, they've, you know, kind of crossed some weird lines every now and then. But he was, like, nothing that was, like really concerning him you know it was like an incident here or there that he was like "Mm, they probably shouldn't have done that or like he needed to really establish that they're you know like his boundaries that they're not his friend kind of thing but it's been in a sense where he was like i could be really gentle about it they weren't you know doing anything like obsessive like he wasn't worried for his safety at any Mm -hmm. point before this incident um but in 2015 he was at home playing a PC game while his infant daughter and um, fiance were sleeping um, in the house that they lived in. And his, uh, actually his brother was also in town um, too. So he heard a knock at the front door and he was like, maybe it's um, his brother invited somebody over at a weird hour, whatever. He goes downstairs to check the door and he, doesn't open it. He just says hello with the door closed because um, he doesn't recognize the person that's standing outside, which right. is um, a 19-year-old fan whose name I will not disclose. I don't think, I think one article had their name or something like that in it. Anyways, I'm not saying it. The, uh, you know, kid, he is just like standing outside this door. Um, he has a very like shaky, thin voice, according to Elheim, and he just says hello back. <laughs> And they're just kind of um, going back and forth with this hello. He was like, I'm not even sure if this person even speaks English. And then he realized he was saying Elo, like the first part of his name, Eloheim. And he was like, this is a fan of mine. This is like activating my fight or flight response. Yes. And this is like late at night in December. Like it is dark as shit outside. Um, You know, it's terrifying to have to deal with this. Um, But he, you know... um, felt bad for this like small skinny kid he said was just standing outside his door but also you know wanting to make sure that his family is safe so he is not opening the door but he is you know very concerned like he does want to help this kid out and he you know is asking him where he came from what he needed um and the um fan explains that he flew in from singapore that night and he walked 25 miles from the airport to Eloheim's house. Oh my god. With his luggage in like December weather. Like it is cold as shit. He walked 25 miles and that he wanted to stay at Eloheim's house. He uh. was like, I came here to like stay uh, the night. And 
Elohim is like immediately like, of course, like I'm not going to do that. Right, um, of course. But he's trying to figure out how to deal with this delicate situation. Like, you know, how do I deal with someone who, you know, clearly is not in a great headspace that they felt like they had to come to their favorite Twitch streamer's house. So Elheim is talking to the fan for about 20 minutes, asking him questions, trying to keep him, you know, from getting impatient or whatever, as um, him and his fiance are trying to figure out what to do with the situation. Elheim talks through the door with the fan for about 20 minutes as him and his fiance are trying to figure out what to do. Um, and they land on a plan that he shares with the fan saying that he could pay for an Uber and a hotel, like, you know, uh, for the night, um, so nearby. A good dude. He's a really good dude. He was like, I'll pay for your Uber and a hotel for the night. Like, um, you know, we'll get you in a place to stay. We can figure things out in the morning. The kid also explained he bought a one-way ticket from Singapore. He was like, I'm staying at your house. And he was like, you're not, but we can figure things out in the morning. Um, You know, let's make sure that you get somewhere, like, safe and have, like, shelter. Uh, But the fan was, like, very persistent, saying that he was just going to stay in this house or he was not staying anywhere. Um, And eventually he could not get him to, you know, agree to this arrangement and the fan just like walks away in the night oh my god um which is uh, also very terrifying um somehow way scarier not knowing where he is (laughs) yes um so (laughs) elohim um does not know what to do this is his first time ever experiencing anything of this caliber and he like takes to twitter um and is like, guys, I don't know what to do about this situation. Like, do you guys have any advice? Whatever. I think most of his comments were like, call the cops. Um, and then the other parts of his comments were like, well, if he's gone, he's gone. I don't know. Like, we'll just see when he comes back. Right. Um, in the morning, Elaheim's brother, who's been staying over, goes out into the backyard to, I think, throw some trash away or something, or maybe I think they were letting a dog out. It's The articles are not clear on this point, but he sees a, like, curled up person leaning against the house, like, near some trash or something, and it is the fan. He just, like, decided to walk away from the house, go through to the backyard somehow, um, and sleep there. Oh my god, that's so scary. Yeah, so, uh, obviously his brother goes and wakes up Elaheim and is like, he's still here, man. Um, and, uh, you know, Elaheim tweets his tweeters being like, guys, he's back. What are we doing now? Like, we've, we're, um, we gotta do something. And a, one of his other fans, who's also, like, a high roller, like, bankrolls him all the time, offers to donate the amount for a plane ticket back to Singapore and the Uber to, like, get to the airport. He was like, if you can, like, you know, get him to agree to leave, like, immediately, I will pay for these things, which is, like, holy shit, like, thousands of dollars. Like... Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, it was, like, <laughs> this fan came in clutch. And Elaheim apparently uh, convinces him to take this deal. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I think this is, like, probably the best way this situation could have played out. The Probably the best person to deal with the situation. He seems yeah. like an incredibly nice guy. He seems like a good dude. It seems yeah. like even his fan base is probably good people, which really bodes well for him. For sure. Um, and, you know, I do think that he was uh, very kind to do this, but I also agree with this statement I'm about to, uh, <laughs> 
um, quote from him, which he says that, um, you know, I think a, a lot of how he reacted in that situation is because he does really care about his fans and especially his mega fans. And he is worried about disappointing them. You know, he wants to make sure that he is the best, you know, him he can be and the most, you know, caring and the most open with them as possible because they dedicate, you know, so much time and money and energy into him. He was like, I should be doing the same. Uh, But he was like a, a little less worried about disappointing his mega fans at this point. I think he was very much like, I'm evaluating my own boundaries and I think I can set boundaries and still be able to, like, you know, do this kind of job. But he was like, I don't have to be so, like, you know, ready to just let anybody do anything they want with me. Which I'm like, agree. Yeah. Um, and he says, um, I'm quote, like, does he have mommy issues? Because he's doing a lot of people pleasing. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a lot of people pleasing. Uh, but he says, um quote, my go-to protocol now is I'm just going to straight up call the cops. I mean, I'm not going to give them a chance or hear their story. I'm, I'll am i call the cops. Well, and I was like, like, you acted this way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, especially now with this story even Right, being exactly. Told, That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. Like, even when people know that you might react this way, it opens uh, the door for like more crazy people. Exactly. I'm like, your house is going to become a haven for any fan that like feels like they have something going on in their life. Yeah, I can imagine how scary it would be, especially when you have, like, your, you know, wife and, like, other people you care about in the house. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just you that adds, like, another layer of, like, fear. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so this particular article was uh, able to talk to this fan uh, about two years after the incident. That's so crazy. Um, Yeah, he, at this point in the, his interview, he is in the middle of his two-year mandatory military service that is required of all, like, Singaporean uh, male citizens. And um, he he explicitly says that the structure is helping him with his life. Um, so good. I'm like, you know, uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, he says he's less depressed and he's in a more stable um, situation. And he still watches Twitch regularly, but um, he thinks the structure gives him his own, like, life purpose. So and, he's like Charles Manson in that way. Yeah, exactly. Eddie Kemper, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> a little Eddie Kemper. Other stable people. <laughs> so, you know, good for him. Um, and he talks... can recognize that, I yeah. guess. And he talks very openly about his behavior. Uh, he's, you know, describes it as reckless um, and um, just, like, no a forethought to his behavior. Um, He was like, I was really depressed at the time and thought that maybe he would sympathize, but, you know, clears up being like, yeah, that wasn't a good choice. Like, you know, no matter how much sympathy he may personally have, it's like, you know, this is not a a thing that should be established of like, I shouldn't just like show up to people's houses just because I kind of know their internet persona, Mm -hmm. which was like, I think about like, that's a really well-rounded, you know, view of his own behavior. And I think, you know, he's very self-aware. It's like, good for him. Um... (laughs) <laughs> he says, this is a quote, he was like, um, he still believes that, um, you know, it's a fun relationship to have, like, you know, a, a fun thing to, you know, have your favorite Twitch streamers and stuff. But he says, quote, um, I won't show my appreciation by showing up without telling them and then laughs. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, he's got it, I guess now. He's got some good humor about it. Yeah. It's probably a really traumatizing experience for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the overall best conclusion you could have of a situation like this. Um, but yeah, that was whew, the story of Eloheim. 
and his parasocially, you know, obsessed fan. For sure. Um, and so now we're going to switch gears to a completely different story um, of actually revolving around an A-list celebrity. I think you could call this a very classic um, case of celebrity-related parasocial relationships mm-hmm. um, with the stalker of Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. From, um, yeah, like 1999 to like 2016. Like a very long one. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, okay. It's yeah. a lot of time to be thinking about Gwyneth Paltrow, I guess. Yeah, it's a lot of time. I think about her, you know, maybe once a month and that's already too much. That's already too much. I think about her against my will. Yes. Um, and it's mostly just remembering how insane Goop is. <laughs> yeah, I think about Goop often. I think yeah. about the fact that they sold stickers as like healing patches for hundreds of dollars and mm-hmm. then she was like, you know. It's like, a little <laughs> It's a little uncanny the similarities between her and her stalker actually. And we'll get into this. <laughs> um, there's some things where I'm like, is he not doing the same thing as her though? But anyways, uh, we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. This story is going to be kind of a weird structure, not your classic, you know, going through the chronological order story, because I think it's important to um, just the general atmosphere around this story. Um, so when I first started doing research into this man, whose name is Dante Michael uh, Saw You, is how a lot of places pronounce it, but I've seen also Sue, like the um, uh, French word, but the French don't deserve rights. Right. So I think Saw You works, and most people pronounce it that way, so I'm going to say it that way. Okay. Um, there was very little information that I could find about this situation that wasn't specifically about his trial and his acquittal in 2016. Okay. Like, trying to find information from way back in 2001, which makes sense. You know, internet was different then. So we're just going to start with how my research started, uh, which is um, at the time of um, when he first became obsessed with Gwyneth was... Um, when she won the Academy Award for her performance in Shakespeare in Love uh, okay. in 1999, uh, where she was 28 years old at the time. And um, Saw You was a 51-year-old pizza delivery man. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, he, you know, became obsessed with her when she, you know, had this performance. Um, he started sending letters and packages to her immediately. A lot of the messages were about his intent to marry her. And then over time, how he would just like say that he was married to her. And he would send her pornography, sex toys, uh, instructions on how she was supposed to use the sex toys as if he was there. And a lot of uh, religious stuff. This man is very openly and deeply Catholic. Oh, God. Um, so he was very much focused on Jesus Christ. Uh-oh. Um, obviously, he was not getting um, any responses from Gwyneth, and so a lot of the letters started to turn aggressive. Uh, there's a quote that's quoted in almost every single article that says, You are hopelessly lost. Now you must die. Yourself must die so that Christ can have preeminence. Ooh, there's a lot there. <laughs> this specifically uh, makes me think of the last podcast on the left live show that we went to mm-hmm. where they had a section where they talked about how there's only two people who we know killed in the name of the devil. Yeah. And there are so many people who kill or 
threaten to kill in the name of God. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, take that, liberals. <laughs> um... And uh, he even once showed up at her parents' home in Santa Monica. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, Pretty much since the first letter that she got, um, her security team would notify her about each letter or package, but would just not give her any of the details because of how distressing they were, which I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. She doesn't need to know. I don't even want to know they arrived. Yeah. Maybe if I, like, if it's that situation, like, maybe I'm just blissfully unaware. Honestly. Um, but she then files charges, um, in 2001, or sorry, in 2000, the trial happens in 2001, uh, where he is found not guilty by reason of insanity. He spent more than three years in a, you know, psychiatric facility, and at least one of those years was required by the court, but it's not clear by the articles how, how much was required by the court, like, after evaluations or anything, but he did spend three years there at least. Um, before he was let out. Um, and then in 2009, he then started to resume sending her letters consistently, like all, like there were so many packages outside her door, um, until finally in 2014, she files charges again, um, which, you know, it takes two years this time to get to trial. His second trial is in 2016. Um, in which Sayu's lawyer argues that he is harmless to Gwyneth Paltrow, um, that Paltrow misinterpreted his letters, okay. um, and she points to the fact that because they were biblical in nature, they were meant as religious messages to the actress and not as the crazy threats and, you know, um, insane presumptuous relationships uh, that he mentions in the letters. Um, you know, that is clear by just objectively looking at them. His lawyer is insane. I hate her. That's it. Okay. Yes. And uh, she also argues that because he did not try to meet her in person, like he did when he showed up at her parents' house the last time he was arrested, that this is in fact an improvement and that he Ugh. is um, okay. <laughs> is this someone he hired or is this like a, you know? I'm not sure. Um... If, yeah, if it was hired or if it was court appointed, but um, she did her damnedest. And uh, he was acquitted of the charges of felony stalking. Yeah, felony stalking and attempted stalking. Um, by attempted the, stalking. Yeah, which is like very specific to know. LA. It's oh. like an LA law. Okay, I was like, yeah, yeah, I've never heard that before. Yeah, so the LA court um, acquitted him of these charges as of February 2016. So that. The 2016 is obviously the bulk of the articles and information that I could find. Um, And he, (laughs) I wanted to do a fun, what's he doing now section, but it seems like he's completely dropped off the face of the internet, um, which, you know, maybe is probably required by the court or some sort of mental health professionals. They're like, hey, just like, don't be on the internet, bro, which is like, good. I think that's a good choice, but he still has his Twitter up. That he uh, started in 2008 and he has not updated since 2011, in which he's got 75 followers. um, And all of his tweets are about vitamin supplements. um, And his book called How to Unite the Catholic and Protestant Church as One. And that is a big 
area to tackle. The Catholics and the Protestants, they don't want to be one. They very much want to be as different as possible. And I <laughs> and I are failing at that because if you look up either of them, you're going to be like, the same, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same religion. Yeah, it's the same. They just want to be different out of spite. Yeah, because that's how white people are. Exactly. Um, it's, yeah. They're like, we're not like other white people. It just like, think we're about the, the beef between Italians and Italian Americans. <laughs> <laughs> that explains it right there. Put them all in jail. Yeah. Um, so he wrote that book in 2011 and he was doing some hard promo on Twitter, uh, getting absolutely no likes. Um... And nothing really of note or no articles, no online presence after the 2016 acquittal that I could find. But then I found Stephen G. Michard, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Another Frenchman. So like, what the fuck? Um, Fuck you. The author of Conversations with a Killer, the thing that they turned into a Netflix docuseries recently, the man who like... like extensively interviewed ted bundy this man co-wrote a book called whisper of fear with a prosecutor Rhonda b saunders in which chapter nine is an excerpt that is available the excerpt that is available online and it is the chapter on saw you which is so funny i was like i found this and i was like oh my god this is incredible Um, And we are going to now walk through this information. Um, Obviously, I can't vouch for any of the accuracy of the details written in this book. Um, I don't even think... I'm not sure if Saunders is even Dante's prosecutor. I'm not sure. It's very hard to tell. Um, But I do think the story that they, um, you know put out for us in this chapter is exhilarating (laughs) the facts in here i'm like you could not find anywhere else anywhere and so i think that they're just a lot of fun so we're gonna walk through this chapter together i can't wait um okay so we start with um a description of sayu's internet life um in early 1999 in which he spends every day in the uh, Columbus, Ohio Public Library on the internet um, as Dr. Love. And he has the goal of applying balm to troubled hearts. Uh. Um, And he uh, describes himself as someone who has offered enlightenment to the famous and powerful. He's like, I have a lot of connections with like politicians, celebrities, and I'm always, I'm like a spiritual advisor for them. The... (laughs) They say that um, Dr. Love's online following at this point is unknown, like the size of it, but the site was popular enough that he had like commercial sponsors um, via these vitamin supplements. So vitamin supplement companies were all about his stuff um, and they wanted him to advertise for them. And he did. He sent um, apparently George W. Bush 3,000 personal notes on various topics And um, my favorite, he sent um, Bill Clinton, uh, you know, a couple hundred things and mainly dealt with his sexual problems. He really (laughs) wanted to solve what was going on with him and Monica Lewinsky. 
Um, that was like his whole thing. But he then <laughs> copied one of the letters that he sent to Bill Clinton to the RNC, which is the Republican National Committee, because he just thought they'd have a good laugh about it. He was oh like, God. let me copy them on this thing, this very personal note that I'm writing to Bill Clinton, because I think they think it's funny, <laughs> which I think is the funniest thing he's ever done. Um, but yeah, he was like, I am a spiritual advisor. I have special access to God. I am reaching out to anybody and everybody to make sure that they know I can work with them. So, you know, he's really like putting his net out into a wide pool of celebrities. And then he focuses in on Gwyneth. So at the time that he starts to focus in on Gwyneth, he is obviously at the library all day doing his Dr. Love stuff. And then at night he goes out delivering pizzas, which (laughs) he loses this job by surprising a young female customer with a kiss on the hand. And then two hours later, according to Dante, her boyfriend threatens to kill him, which I'm like, good for him. Uh, And so he lost that job. He has a crazy amount of education. He um, was a scholarship student at the Xavier University in Cincinnati in their Asia Studies program, which I'm like, red flag, this is a white man. (laughs) He uh, graduated there with a 3.5 GPA, um, and he also has a minor in theology. The um, later, later years, he got a MBA in accounting and worked as a tax prepper Um, you know, he's got a lot of education, which is like something that just really threw me. I don't know why, but actually makes a lot of sense now because academics are insane. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's lost his pizza job, but he's not letting it phase him. And then boom, in theaters, sees Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie. And he's like, man, I love this woman unconditionally. I can't wait to become her husband. And how lucky is Gwyneth? Um, that he gets to do, um, do this. Um, so he is just turning all of his energy into researching her life. He is picking up all the tabloids. And at this time, she was dating Ben Affleck, which I'm sorry, I have to scratch. Earlier I said his that was my favorite thing he's done, the... Uh, Bill Clinton thing. Bill Clinton thing. This is even funnier. (laughs) Um, He, in his very first letter that he writes to uh, Gwyneth, this is how the letter starts. Okay. It says, first, comma, do not marry Ben Affleck. (laughs) He's a slob. Period. (laughs) He's making some points, actually. (laughs) Actually, I kind of agree with him on this one. Um, But again, this next part is not as fun. (laughs) No, no, but it's not funny. At the end of the day, is it? It's serious. Um, He then continues saying, I am more than a fan. I have formed a soul union with you. (laughs) And then immediately starts getting into, like, you know, graphic stuff and the like. um, And, you know, descends into this thing. This is also, I didn't think about it in the article because, you know, they don't expand on this information. But they say here, which makes sense, that um, Gwyneth at this time doesn't have her own place in... California, uh, I think she has somewhere else that she lives. So when she goes to like LA and, you know, does work there, she stays at her parents' home um, in Santa Monica because that's where they live. Okay. And so that's why he shows up at uh, her parents' houses because when she's in the LA area, she lives there with them. Um, so, you know, they start getting these m- letters and packages and stuff at her parents' home. 
And she was like, this is immediately weird. She doesn't get any sort of mail here because it's not her home. Um, She just stays there when she's in town. Um, So it's wild that he found their address and that started sending her stuff there. And it was her and her mother, apparently, that received the letter um, and just read it together. And they are like, flipped out by it. And apparently this is when Paltrow decides to retain security. I guess she just didn't have a security team before this, but she has one now um, because of this letter. She immediately like reads this letter and she's like, okay, um, I'm getting a security team. And he, uh, Dennis Bridewell, Bridewell, um, is like the head of the security team for her. Um, immediately is like, everything that you receive, don't even open it. Like, I will filter, you know, like, I will look through everything, um, you know, and be in charge of this stuff. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, he was like, the first few letters were, for the most part, pretty innocuous. Um, he was like, saying some weird shit, like, I love you and whatever. But, you know, not anything that was like, all right, like, these are like, explicit, like, you know, sexual things yet, or like, a violence or whatever. But he said it it quickly goes downhill. He says that as it goes downhill, um, you know, and gets more explicit, he also becomes less coherent. Mm -hmm. Um, This quote is like bonkers. It says, if you are not obedient, you will perish. And we don't want that because the devil likes to destroy those who are not obedient to him. But I like making babies with you. Which I'm like, what? Um, You lost me there. Yeah, he uh, continues on... Oh, no, sorry. This is a separate letter, which he sends with the book Ordinary Woman Slash Extraordinary Sex. He says, I'm glad we're nymphomaniacs for each other. (laughs) That's not what that means. I was like, what? Um, And um, he interprets her not responding to these letters being that her parents are keeping this stuff away from her. Like, she's not allowed to see these messages because they're too powerful or something. Her parents, like, hate him or something. I'm sure they do. Yeah, I'm like, I think she also does, too, guy. (laughs) Um, It's not just her parents. Uh, But he says, if your parents want to steal from us, which is stealing from God, God will strike them. A curse is laid upon them in Malachi 4.10 for stealing from God and that he was going to take God's scalpel and cut the sin out of her. Okay, good. So yeah, I was like, uh, (laughs) getting crazy. But then it gets a little fun again in another letter because he starts referring to Ben Affleck again and (laughs) is like, I will beat the hell out of that guy. (laughs) And I'm like, yes. Um, So, you know, (laughs) toss up. Yeah. I'm like, is it good? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, anyways, so it's March 28th, oh, sorry, May 28th, 1999, when he shows up at the family home. Um, her mother is in the front yard of the house, just playing with their family dog, um, when, uh, a familiar acting stranger approached from the sidewalk. Oh, God. He introduces himself, and she obviously doesn't know who he is, um, and he repeated his introduction, Um, and she realizes that this is the man who has been, like, terrorizing their family and sending them mail. And she says, oh, you're Dante. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, she is immediately scared for her life because he starts reaching into a bag and is, like, pulling something out. She was like, I literally thought he was going for a gun and I was about to be dead. Um, and, uh, he pulls out, uh, I believe... 
Oh, yes. He pulls out um, a bottle of vitamins from one of his sponsors and gives it, uh, tries to give it to her because um, there was a recent mention in a periodical that her husband had cancer. And he was like, I heard from God that your husband has cancer. So here are some vitamins to cure that. Really pushing that MLM. He really is. Um, she obviously is like trying to very politely without, you know, ticking him off or, you know, creating a right a worse situation being like, listen, to you're... to a little. Yeah, she was like, you know, you have... This situation isn't great. Like, you're honestly scaring us. Like, please stop what you're doing. Please stop sending packages. Like, do you understand that? Like, we don't want any contact from you. And he says, yes. And she was like, you have to stop. Like, you understand that. He was like, I'll stop. Um, and he, like, walks away from the house. Um, and... He says then, I felt almost slighted. I felt like all of this effort was just going down the tubes and they weren't even looking at it. Any inspiration, genius, work, talent, creativity was just not being even looked at. I felt kind of bad about it. <laughs> it's like, guy, like, oh. this is not good. Um, and so he obviously told this woman's mother that he'll stop sending these things and then internally has this thought well maybe my next step is i'll try harder if i fail i will always try harder because i have a positive faith about success you just try harder and you'll make it great oh just jail yeah take him to jail and he was like sending the craziest stuff um he sent a photo of a nude couple with in handwritten Gwen, um, written above the name of the woman, and then Dante, written above the name of the man. Weird fan art. Yes. And then says, the extra copies are for your mom. We will be having an open marriage just between us three. A trinity relationship, privately. <laughs> what? I'm so... I'm, I don't understand. Um, um, I'm actually exclusive with my stocking, so that's really not going to work for me. Personally. Oh, man. You're not going to suck me and my mom. Like, choose one. Honestly. For real. Um, at one point, he... Even though he's putting in all this work sending Gwen a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. you cannot deny that this man has been keeping up with his political career, <laughs> um, in which he is you know, thoroughly sending correspondence with the Clintons. And he <laughs> sent, <laughs> he sent one to then first lady, um, Hillary, um, the proposal of a cabinet level department of love, family and relationships. Uh -huh. And he wrote, uh, in that letter that he and his lovely wife, Gwyneth, eagerly volunteered to head up this new agency. <laughs> so he has got like a full, like, proposal yeah. of uh He's this like, don't cabinet worry, i thought it's a job he's like don't worry babes like you may have your silly little acting career in which you make millions but i'm gonna get us political access and a whole ass <laughs> department i'm almost positive that this man is now heading part of the QAnon conspiracy maybe maybe um we can never know because he has no discernible online presence well but that's where it is Maybe he's getting more like careful as his own lawyer admitted he is he's towing that line a mm -hmm. lot better than before like we just need to go on to one of those unmoderated fucking conspiracy theory websites <laughs> and we'll find dante hanging out yeah there's so much more um just like little fun details um 
in this chapter, uh, like one where he set up an email account for Gwyneth, mm-hmm. um, called just like Gwyneth at Gmail. <laughs> no, it's called my love, my wife at yahoo.com. Um, and it was specifically for access between the two of them. Who's was like, you know, we just need a, a private channel, just me and you babes. <laughs> and I'm, you know, go take a look, read the chapter. Like, you know, it's just so much fun. Um, I, there's just so much to talk about that I could take literal hours to go through everything. Uh, but it's just, it's a fun read. Go check that out. But I just thought I would leave all that fun stuff for the end because A, it's not cooperated at all. It's just like these two people. I'm sure they've done some sort of research and maybe right. if she was his prosecutor, she does have access to more information that we ever could as the public. Um, but you know, it is like the only place online that you can find any of this information. So who knows? Um, but I just think it was such a fun, stark difference between the, like, very little, like, almost, like, two paragraph long articles that would people would give to this very real situation for this, like, woman who was terrorized for years on end, and just, like, two little paragraphs on the situation of a guy, you know, basically getting scot-free, um... Yeah, that is so crazy. I wish that that, like, court decision was online somewhere. Mm -hmm. I, like, just went and searched for it because I was like, I need to know. Yeah. I'm like, I found all of the original ones, but, yeah, obviously Mm -hmm. that one was never published. Right. Um, So, you know, this situation that was given absolutely, like, no deference at all, uh, except by this author. (laughs) He was really uh, going in on this situation. So um, yeah, I just thought that was a a lot of fun of like parasocial relationships when they are real are not actually really treated by the public by any measure, um, except for one crazy man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think that's a good place to wrap up for just part one. Um, Part two, we will get even further into Uh things. Tentatively next week. Tentatively. We will see when we actually record, when we have less depression than usual. <laughs> like, it's it's a struggle, you guys. Like It's, it's hard. hard. <laughs> I mean, like, kind of a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, all right, guys. We'll see you when we see you. Yeah. Um, check out the YouTubes in the meantime. Maybe right. there's something there. We should be having content um, tentatively soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't forget to subscribe to everything, YouTube, this, Patreon, whatever, whatever you feel like. Um, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. The Podcast Rejects is a Gamer Frauds Network production. Find us on Instagram at The Podcast Rejects. For early access to all Gamer Frauds Network content and a ton of exclusive perks, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash gamerfrauds.